Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leader Generation, brought to you by Mata. I'm your host, Tessa Berg, and today I'm joined by Whitney Cornuke. She's the SVP of Marketing at Talent Launch, and we are going to dive in to the role of employer and brand marketing in staffing and recruiting. Hello, Whitney. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Tessa. Glad to be here. We are in the midst of a major employee and staffing shortage. Just this past weekend, I was super bummed to find out that one of my favorite places to eat closes at 5 p.m. on a Saturday just because they don't have enough people to work. And that's not just in dining and restaurants. We're seeing this across the board from manufacturers and warehouse workers, shipping and delivery is down, retail, staffing, you name it. People seem to be having trouble finding good quality candidates. So you work at Talent Launch. You guys tell us a little bit about Talent Launch and the sort of unique lens that you have on this challenge. Sure. So Talent Launch is a network of staffing and recruiting agencies that are all across the country and specialize in different industry verticals. So we have businesses that focused on manufacturing and production, IT, healthcare, professional services like office and administration or accounting and finance. So we really have a unique viewpoint of what's going on in the market in any given geography or industry. And what I will tell you is that it is a tight candidate market across the board. And there's a lot of reasons for this. It's no one thing. I know during the pandemic, everyone blamed the stimulus check. So no one wants to work. But the truth is but there's been a lot of changes to the economy that have influenced why we're so tight on labor. The pandemic did encourage people to retire early. So there's some people at the experienced end of the market that exited. Some of them have now come out of retirement, but that was certainly a piece. There's been the rise of the gig economy. If you think about all the delivery services, Uber Eats or Uber drivers, Instacart, those are all relatively new and they've pulled people away from other types of hourly jobs like dining and retail. And then there's also a skills gap. So there's open positions and people don't have necessarily the right skills to fill them. That's obviously less of an issue at the entry level end of the market, but in some of the higher level positions. So all these add up to fierce competition for talent. Yeah. I love this as an opening because I will say we heard a lot during the pandemic that it really was just the stimulus checks. And like, man, as soon as we stop giving those away, we'll get a lot more workers. And it was almost like nothing happened. Like still no one, like, and everyone keeps saying, come back to work. But to your point, people are working. They just might be working differently. So what can employers do to compete with these different styles of work when people are valuing flexibility a lot more, doing work on their own terms as a business, and especially as a larger business, multiple locations, how do you compete with that? So people have definitely changed their relationship with work in a number of ways. And obviously every business is a little bit different. Some jobs can't be done remotely. Healthcare workers have to be in person. Although the rise of telehealth certainly has grown during this time period too. So I should actually rewind that, but many healthcare workers need to be in person. And I think what employers need to do is really think about what matters to their audience. And this is where, I know we're going to segue here, where marketing comes in, because it's not too dissimilar to how you think about 
catering and advertising yourself to your customer base. You think about their problems and how your product or service solves it uniquely. It's not that different for employer branding and marketing yourself to potential candidates. So really thinking about what matters to them, whether it's pay rate, whether it's flexibility, whether it's professional development and growth, whether it is a certain type of culture, whether it's being purpose-driven, that's a huge thing that we're seeing rise in importance that especially among the younger generation, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And so it matters to them what role the company is playing in society. So not just about what you make or sell, but how are you doing business in a way that does some good or has a higher level purpose? So all these things can add together and you sort of think through, well, what do you need to do? What do you need to live in order to attract and differentiate for candidates? So before we met on this topic, I had actually never heard the phrase employer branding. Maybe that's because I didn't start in marketing, but for other people who might be listening that might be new, what is employer branding and how often is it occurring? Does it always mean the collaboration of marketing and HR or is it its own thing that sits outside those two verticals? It's probably done in many different ways is the truth. But the idea behind employer branding is this idea that just the way you market your product or service to customers, you need to continuously have a brand identity for your workers. So they are also a constituent in who you are and what you do. And I don't actually know how long that philosophy has been around, but it certainly has risen in terms of importance and popularity more recently because people have choices. It is definitely a candidate market. And so businesses need a way to stand out in order to attract that talent. So one of the trends that I saw when looking at ways we could solve this challenge is Gen Z really values being a part of something bigger than themselves. And they're more likely to trust recommendations on a workplace um, or on a workplace's culture from a friend or a current or former employee. Are there any tools or ways that an employer can either become a part of that conversation or at least monitor it so that they can learn from what their current and former employees may be saying about them? Sure. So similar to all the review sites on products and services, you go to Amazon and you search for whatever, and then you look at all the reviews. Sites like Glassdoor are a great example of where people are leaving reviews on their employers. And that is a place that many candidates go to look for, what do other people think about this company? And how does that influence my views? Or what questions should I ask during an interview? in order to have something explained to me. They're educating themselves. So, so that's definitely one place is sort of those third-party review sites. I think the other thing people are doing are turning their own employees into brand ambassadors. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. So one simple way is on their website, including testimonials from their current employees talking about what it's like to work at company or what a certain type of role is like, kind of a day in the life type series what they love about it, what's special about it. So these reviews from current employees, even if you don't know them, can be really meaningful because it puts a human face to the company 
and give some specifics around why that company would be great to work for and whether it's a good fit. So people can evaluate for themselves if this is something they see um, being a part of. So those are two examples that I think are pretty low hanging fruit. I think the other place that people definitely go is LinkedIn. So they wanna see who in their network might be connected to someone else that works at that company. And there can be different ways. You know, Some people might choose a kind of the informal reach out way to learn more information traditional cold email, if you will, but can also look and see, well, what is the company posting about on their LinkedIn profile? And amongst those tactics, I think those are all really good. And I love what you said that think about your perspective, employees are trying to educate themselves. So almost what kind of tools are you putting out for them online? And I feel like that's fairly new. I still see a lot of career fairs, but I don't see a lot of people actually going to the career fair has more of what candidates are looking for today and that educating themselves and evaluating has more of that moved online or do we think the pandemic maybe or maybe just the behavior of younger generations has changed this in-person recruiting tactics for us? I think it depends at what part of the market you're participating in. I definitely think at the professional end of the market, it has shifted much more online. That's obviously the end of the market that also is embracing remote work at higher rates, both companies allowing it and people seeking it. I think at the more hourly end of the market, a lot is still happening more in person and maybe whether it's through career fairs or maybe through even community type organizations that might arrange meetings or connections between local employers and potential employees. So I think there's a lot of ways that this happens, but obviously with the rise of more online resources, naturally it becomes a way to self-serve and to educate yourself again, especially at that more professional side of the market. So there's a lot of different benefits that employers can put together for potential candidates. They can offer flexibility. We see commercials from Amazon about offering paid leave and really high wages. When we think about the best package for a specific employer, how do they go about determining what are the benefits that will work best for the people they're trying to hire? I think that there's a couple of places. One, they can look at their own data and see what do people take the most advantage of of their existing policies. They can also survey their current employees to see where are their gaps. They can look at their competitors to see what do they offer. I think one really great example of employer branding that was also a way to invite other companies into the conversation around a specific benefit, specifically around paid leave, was the Skim did a campaign around show us your leave. So what they advertised was their paid parental leave policy on LinkedIn. And then they asked other organizations to do the same. So it became this broader movement around communicating, hey, we really value parents and making parenthood something that's easier for our employees and we care about their total well-being during this time of change. And it wasn't just, hey, we're going to advertise what we do. We're going to challenge others to show what they do. And so it almost became, well, who didn't speak up? And therefore, what's their paid leave? 
and as a candidate, you definitely might question that. Or you, now you can look up the hashtag, show us your leave and see all the companies that participated and what their leave policies were. So you brought up Amazon. They've been running TV commercials about their paid leave. And it's in a testimonial style with hourly workers talking about having access to paid leave and that being really valuable for them at a given time with their family. But another way is to sort of trigger a bigger conversation that when you're well-positioned, you're forcing your competitors to show their hand and they may or may not be able to match you. So that's an interesting way in as well. It is really interesting. And all of this is happening online in the exact same place that our customers are researching and engaging with our brand and product. Is there an impact of employer branding on your customers, your customers' behavior, and how they perceive your company and services? I'd say now more than ever. So not only do younger generations want to work places where they are part of something bigger than themselves and subscribe to a higher purpose, but they also want to buy products from companies that are trying to make a bigger impact on society. So at the end of the day, you have to remember we're all people. So whether we're customers or employees, we're people. And the things that we care about don't necessarily change whether we're purchasing the product or working for the company. Obviously, yes. Do I care if a company offers remote work in terms of making a decision to buy something from them? Probably not. It depends on what element you're talking about, but they are very intertwined. And also your company identity can only flex so much. You can't have one identity for one group and a different identity for another group. It blends particularly online because you don't have the benefit of distinct channels that and perfect targeting where, okay, only the people that I want to know about this will see it. Online, everything is much more accessible. And yes, of course, there's more precise targeting online to find the people that care about your message, but it's also out there for anyone else to see too. So the line's very blurred. And I think at the end of the day, it's really about deciding who you are and what you care about as an organization, how you live that through your product and services. And that's obviously traditional marketing. And then how you live that through your culture and what you offer your employees. And that's employer branding. And I think you brought up an interesting point, how you can't target things differently for one party to see it and not another. But we do see some companies advertising benefits that either one, their target audience doesn't want, or that doesn't really get to the heart of who they are as a brand. And it comes across very inauthentically. Is there a way for marketers or HR people to to double check or make sure that what they're putting out there, what their leadership wants them to put out there is in fact authentic and that they're living what they're saying. You have to have ways to back it up. So I'll give an example. DE&I is a huge topic of conversation. It's something that many candidates care about. And it's something that organizations are trying to figure out how do they talk about, but it's one thing to say, oh, we care about diversity. Words are cheap, but what are you doing to actually embrace diversity and inclusion? How are you changing your hiring policies? How are you thinking about days off and being inclusive for all different kinds of holidays? What programs do you have where you're trying to lift up marginalized groups? 
So you really have to have something to talk about behind saying, oh yes, we value DE&I. And that cuts across any of these examples of things you might want to say about yourself. You have to be able to show how you're living it. And then of course the proof is really in the pudding. And what do your employees say about you? Do they believe it? And would they go on camera and talk about it? And can you put that out there? So versus it coming from the company, if it comes from an employee, it's more meaningful and believable. Yeah, I agree. And I think right now we're in Q4 2022. I don't know where the year went, but we're in a space where a lot of marketing budgets are being paused. I feel like there's a lot of wait and see. What should we be spending on? Is there a bunch of inflation or recession coming? Lots of questions. But one of my mentors, and I won't say his name in case he wasn't ready for this, but he said something very genius, which is now is the time to really invest in your brand and self-reflect and say, who are we? And a lot of the things that you've said, Whitney, don't cost any money. Going in and looking at our own data and what benefits are most used, starting to gather that feedback from your existing employees, doing some internal soul searching and looking for what are the bright spots that we want to start amplifying. And there is a crossover to products and services. So there might be some traction that companies can get heading into 2023, not just with recruiting, but also with starting to build a different slice or a different view on their brand with their customers. Have you seen anyone who's doing this really well where you think, yeah, they got it? That's a good question. It's a little bit hard to answer because if they're looking internally, I obviously wouldn't know because I'd have to work there to benefit <laughs> from that. But I think that honestly, when you look at the more mission-driven companies, so companies who really put their mission front and center that sort of say, hey, we're in it for not just profit, but for something else. So if you think about a Patagonia, that, that's an example that comes to mind. And they've been doing this a long time, always living their values around the environment and sustainability. But I have to imagine that if they were in a position where, hey, we're hurting for talent, what do we do? Doubling down on your current employees and to retain them is kind of the first place to go. So I think it was actually REI who did the blackout on Black Friday to have their employees go out and enjoy the outdoors. That wasn't Patagonia's REI, but another outdoors brand, an example like that, where it actually was a benefit for their employees. So it was not for their customers that they get, that they were closed on Black Friday. It's a benefit for their employees. But what it said about them communicated who they are and what they value, which connects them to who shops at their stores. And that did cost them something on that day, but I would say it was a very successful campaign for them because it came back for them tenfold when they reopened Saturday or for Cyber Monday. So that's an example where companies can take a look at, well, how can I do something that benefits my employees, but publicly state it so that it reflects on who we are and what we value as a company in a way that our customer base also cares about and makes them more loyal or somehow more attracted to buying from us. And it's going to vary for what industry you're in is the truth. So being closed on Black Friday for REI had a big impact. It might not have the same level of impact for another company. Yeah, I love that example because I wonder, and I'll have to go look this up, if REI also let their employees post about it because then it gets to allowing the advocacy 
where I remember back in the day when I worked for a larger company, we were not allowed to do anything on any channel about really any activities it was like held close to the vest, even the good things that were happening internally. Social media was a big, scary arena to allow employees mm. to speak. But I think today they're speaking, it's happening. We don't have a lot of influence or control around what's on Glassdoor. So it's really about you are a company that's living your values and being authentic, be a part of that conversation and let others be a part of it and advocate on your behalf as well. Absolutely. It's actually more meaningful coming from your employees than coming from your corporate account. Yes. And you'll have a different reach, but it's the same idea of like, oh, talking about yourself versus someone else singing your praises. Yeah. And we even see that in social analytics for clients. When something comes from a corporate account, it gets sometimes a third of when it comes from an actual employee. And I don't think or maybe the algorithms are doing that on purpose. But I think it's simply because people like to engage with people and the algorithms are crafted around engagement. So if you want the most visibility and the most engagement, then it only makes sense to have the employees be a part of that because that's absolutely where that's where the amplification happens mm-hmm. for sure. So Whitney, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Is there anything you think the audience should know that we didn't cover as it relates to employer branding and the impact branding has overall on employees and potential customers? I think the only thing is we started to touch on it, just the relationship between marketing and HR and what does that look like? You know, I run the marketing team that is really advertising externally to customers and to candidates. Obviously, our business is unique in that We already have two stakeholders, candidates we are trying to attract in order to apply to the jobs that we offer and place them at our customers. But then we do have this third group, which is our internal employees. And I actually do not own the relationship with them. It's another team that's internal communications. Obviously, HR controls benefits and things like that. And that's where a partnership is actually really important because, for example, the team that runs the SKIMS social media pages are not the same people who do the hiring. But that Show Us Your Leave campaign was really a collaboration between the two. And they chose to not talk about the Skims product with information and their email newsletter and things like that, but they chose to use that real estate to talk about who they are in terms of what they value that showed up in a benefit. So Bringing together marketing and HR, especially when you want to double down on employer branding, is really a good place to start because they're really owned by two separate functions in most places, I would think. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it back to that because I think we get caught up as marketers, especially in B2B, always thinking about this marketing sales alignment. And where we're at now is we really need alignment as marketers, not just with sales, but what's the most efficient way to bring these experiences to life and HR. How are we being authentic? How are we leveraging what we know about our target customers who may also be employees to reach them in ways that are meaningful and significant? You know, you said that and I'm thinking to myself, I've never collaborated with HR. <laughs> A lot of people in that boat. To be honest, this is the first role in which I've collaborated with HR. Coming from CPG, they were totally distinct groups. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Whitney, for joining us. If people want to reach out to you directly, if they have questions or want to connect, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Whitney Cornuke is a pretty unique name. So I think I'm the only one, but that would be the easiest place to find me. And then what about Talent Launch? They want to learn more about Talent Launch. MyTalentLaunch.com is the corporate website. You can see who we are and what we're doing, as well as all the different staffing and recruiting brands that we own and what markets or industries they specialize in. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk to you again soon. And if you want to hear more Leader Generation episodes, you can find our showcase page on LinkedIn. Just search the Leader Generation podcast, or you can visit modop at modop.com. Have you heard the good news? Tenlo has been acquired by Modop, an award-winning, full-service digital marketing and communications agency. That means B2B and B2C companies can take advantage of a wide range of marketing services. This includes brand strategy, market research, digital marketing, public relations, and a whole lot more. To learn all about Modop services, go to modop.com. Soon. Never miss an episode of Leader Generation from Modop. Find us in all your favorite podcast venues.